technically speaking, it's not completely done, settled, finished, and over. But for the most part, I would suspect it is. Uh, And that is the news today about General Flynn. Finally, justice is coming in this case. Uh, As we now know, the Justice Department has dropped its case against Flynn. Uh, With all the information and evidence that had been withheld, so exculpatory, the corruption within the FBI. What is our goal here? Is our goal uh, to get him to uh, uh, admission or is it to get him to lie? Why would an FBI agent ever write our goal is to get somebody to lie? That's called a perjury trap Uh, uh, to prosecute him or to get him fired. That shouldn't be a goal either of anybody in the Department of Justice, the FBI Department of Justice. Uh, now under the Attorney General Barr, this has happened. The judge will have to approve the motion to dismiss. And with Sidney Powell as his attorney, and she will be on Hannity tonight, I would hope that this order this is vacated. Uh, and that as a result, he would then be free to sue people. Then you have really dumb people uh, that just hate all things Trump that have been up to their eyeballs in aiding and abetting all of this uh like nadler is out what do you mean he pled guilty uh mr nadler he was told they his son would be prosecuted unless he signed the dotted line they didn't think he lied remember uh flynn called the deputy fbi director mccabe do i need a lawyer no what did comey do the fbi director He brags about sending them all in. I sent them in. I took advantage of the chaos. I did something I wouldn't do or get away with in prior administrations like the Bush administration and Obama administration because they have a process. Normally, you go through the White House counsel before you would speak to the national security advisor uh, setting up Flynn. And of course, the original 302s are still non-existent. And, of course, we have the scope memo in August of 2017 after the FBI knew in February of 2017 that the dirty Clinton bought and paid for Russian disinformation dossier used as the predicate and the bulk of information for all of the FISA application warrants. Well, they use that as part of the mandate or scope instructions given by then Deputy Attorney General, maybe acting Attorney General at the time, Rod Rosenstein to Mueller. But it. At that time, they knew the dossier was BS. Anyway, what was the bottom line? To get to Trump. They illegally spied on a candidate. They denied Carter Page's civil liberties, constitutional rights. Then they spied on Trump's transition team. And in the words of Attorney General Barr, they spied on a president deep into his presidency. And they did it by using not only unverified, but unverifiable and At some point before the third application, the second renewal, they knew it was debunked. Now we know that there was some coordination with the DNC and Christopher Steele and Hillary Clinton's campaign and Christopher Steele. And that Steele has now Hillaryed his emails and erased them all. Jay Sekulow is with us, chief counsel, American Center for Law and Justice, also a counsel for the president. Uh, Jay, big news. I would assume Judge Emmett Sullivan in this case is going to be rather ticked off. I'm sure, I think he's going to be ticked off at the at the for the Department of Justice that was leading this, particularly the Special Counsel's office. I, I want to say something, Sean, because as someone who lived this for three years and knew this was a sham and a scam and a and a, and a, a fraud on the American people, here's what I uh, released a statement. I said justice is being served. The actions of the Special Counsel against General Flynn were outrageous. The Special Counsel should be ashamed of the conduct of his agents and lawyers. 
that he allowed. The Attorney General and the Department of Justice are correcting a horrible wrong. But what I want to focus on for a moment, Sean, is Bob Mueller. This was all known to Bob Mueller, the special counsel, the vaulted, praised special counsel. Jerry Nadler's comment, by the way, he pled guilty, is absurd, but you know what, is that a great shock? But what is shocking is that Bob Mueller let this happen. He was the special counsel appointed in this case, came in with this, you know, pedigree in Washington, well-respected. He should be apologizing, which is not enough, by the way, apologizing to General Flynn and the American people. But when you read the order that the Department of Justice filed, for instance, things like Peter Strzok saying serendipitously good news to Lisa Page, the special counsel. By the way, these are two leaders of the FBI. That the investigation had not technically been closed on Flynn in a technical sense. Quote, our utter incompetence actually helps us. And then James Comey, James Comey, St. Jerome the Magnificent, higher than thou, higher calling, was told by Sally Yates, of all people, I'm shocked to read this. Now, he told, Director Comey tells Sally Yates he has sent over agents to interview General Flynn. She is flabbergasted and dumbfounded. Other senior DOJ officials hit the roof upon hearing of this development, given that an interview of Flynn should have been coordinated with DOJ. Do you realize what, you know what was happening here, Sean? These rogue leaders were running this. Jay, this is an attempted coup, Jay. This was, none of the normal processes were followed. Where are the original 302s? You know, what they did to Carter Page. The, look, what, I'm, what I've been telling this audience now, we're in a very dangerous place for this country. And l- let me give you a quick observations of where we are, because the lie is the truth. The truth is a lie. In the case of a national emergency, they can't come together and help a president. There's not one good thing Donald Trump, not even the travel ban or the largest, fastest medical mobilization to save New York's backside that Donald Trump accomplished. Every single bit of equipment, beds, personnel, ventilators, everything, Donald Trump, because they weren't prepared. Now, for example, uh, they impeached Trump for a quid pro quo. They ignore zero experience Hunter uh, being paid millions and Joe saying you're not getting the billion unless you fire the guy. Russian interference, they ignore completely in the media and the Democrats ignore Hillary's dirty Russian, well, Russian information, dirty dossier. Uh, obstruction matters, not Hillary's email server and deleted subpoenaed emails. I believe, I believe if it's Kavanaugh or Trump, but not Joe. Where are the I believers, Jay? They care about civil liberties. Uh, but when a candidate for president of the United States is spied on, oh, it's fine as long as it's Trump. Their silence is deafening. They set up a 33-year veteran hero of this country the way they yep. did. What's our aim? Is it to get him to lie, admission, or just to get uh, to be able to prosecute him? Uh, that should never be their goal. A corrupt jury four-person in Roger Stone's case, pre-dawn raids, Jay, uh, 29 guys, tactical uh, gear, uh, CNN cameras for lying to Congress, you know, frogmen, or in the case of Manafort, exculpatory material withheld in Flynn's case, Papadopoulos's case. You get my point, Jay? This oh, is I, not I America. Point. I, I, Sean, I lived your point for three you years did. as the primary counsel in this case, along with 
of some really competent colleagues. I mean, we had a leadership team of our legal department defending the president here that was uh, top notch. And I, we knew we lived this. But you just mentioned the tactics. Understand, I want everybody that's understanding left, right, and center. Bob Mueller did this. Bob Mueller allowed this. Bob Mueller didn't know what Fusion GPS is or was. He does not know that what his agents had done. He allowed his agents to wipe clean their phones, which had evidence in it, and their lawyers to wipe their phones. How would you like to be the lawyer that's committed this fraud on Judge Sullivan? Let me go to this. The, the, the next aspect of this was what, what we got into. Hold those a lawyers great... accountable is what I say. Go ahead. Okay, what about the scope memo? Now let's look at Rod Rosenstein. Now, James Comey signed three of the four FISA applications. They used the dirty dossiers, the bulk of information. Jay, in February, we now know of 2017, they knew it was BS. February. Yep. It, in the scope memo put out by Rod Rosenstein, I assume by then acting AG, I'm not sure where he was, or deputy AG, right. uh, he is literally telling Mueller what to investigate. And by the way, by that time, they had already interviewed Steele's primary subsource on three occasions, and he completely undercut the Steele dossier. The FBI knew Papadopoulos and Page denied most of the allegations against them. They have the exact quotes. You know, in the case of Papadopoulos, uh, you know, he said, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, you know, what you're saying is like treason. I'm not involved. I don't know anyone in the campaign involved. I have nothing to do with Russia. Page, pretty similar circumstances. Then the FBI tried to close the investigation against Flynn, and then in comes Comey and Peter Strzok. And the scope memo shows Rod Rosenstein, who knew better, authorized a search and destroy mission against Donald Trump, Jay. That's what happened here. Well, Sean, like I said, I mean, I lived it. I mean, I, I you you did know, live we it. knew what they were up to. Uh, as soon as the, this investigation should have been over before it started, it should have never started. But they, were, they knew there was no Russia collusion. Then they went on this obstruction nonsense. Now, here's the question that I want to ask. And I think, listen, Attorney General Barr and, and his team have done a, are doing this exactly by the book. They're going where the evidence leads. But you mentioned James Comey. Signing the FISA warrants would not tell the president what was going on, although Yates and others in leadership said you need to do that. Does not go to Loretta Lynch. Goes over Loretta Lynch, actually during the Clinton matter. And how is this, how was he vaulted, another one held up as this paragon of virtue. He goes around lecturing about a higher calling. The guy was a dishonest, bad cop. By the way, I don't think this is deep state. This is right at the Do you top. remember when Joe DeGeneva, I flinched, Jay. They're dirty cops. I flinched. Joe DeGeneva was right. They're dirty cops. Well, the I, thing I, is, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, you go. Yeah, I was going to say, Joe was right. But, Sean, this isn't, you never scratch the surface very deep here. This isn't the, the regular FBI agents. But I want to talk to young FBI agents. I want to talk to FBI candidates. I want to talk to FBI cadets, analysts that are in training to become agents. Don't do what these guys did. They don't, Jay. You know, with all the FBI people I know want, saying thank you for wearing our pin in solidarity. And, by the way, uh, this is not us. And they all say it's hurt their ability to do their job because the public doesn't trust them anymore. Now, what well, about Director Ray? Because Director Ray in July, well, his FBI at that point in July of 2018 defended the FISA applications. They knew better. 
that's a year and a half after knowing that it was based on uh, uh, the, the Steele dossier. Why would they defend that? Let me just say that I suspect there is a top-to-bottom, and I don't know this, I just suspect this, there's a top-to-bottom review of exactly what was going on. We know there's the Durham report, or the Durham investigation, I should say. Investigation, yeah. Yeah, not a report. That's going on. I think that's going to reveal a lot about what has taken place and what is taking place. But I, I will tell you this, Sean, that none of this restores what was taken away from General Flynn. But I, I got another message from some of the lawyers out there. Like the lawyers representing General Flynn before Sidney Powell came in and did an unbelievably fantastic job. What in the world were you doing in your represent, representation of General Flynn? This is one of the largest law firms in the United States. What in the world were they doing? Stay right there, Jay Sekulow. I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration. (laughs) The protocol, two men that all of us have perhaps increased appreciation for uh, over the last two years. (laughs) And in both of those administrations, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. That was Jim Comey, uh, Jay Sekulow, bragging about what he did. This is after General Flynn asked uh, McCabe if he needed an attorney. Okay. Who do you think broke the law? What are the charges? When are these people going to be held accountable? Because there were referrals, Jay, for the very same things that Manafort, Cohn, and Roger Stone got in trouble for. So let's start with James Comey, who just tweeted out, the DOJ has lost its way, but career people, please stay because America needs you. The country's hungry for honest and competent leadership. I wonder what, it'd be nice to see Sally Yates say, don't believe anything James Comey says. He's an egomaniac who went around the system to advance his own position. That's what somebody needs to say now. So let's start with James Comey. I think James Comey is obviously... 20 seconds. ...FISA warrants yeah. that obviously they knew were fraudulent. And doing all this investigation... What about Rod? What about McCabe? What about Strzok? What about Page? What about Clapper? Well, here, here, Brennan? Here's, here's how it works, Sean. I mean, let, let's, let's, let's be clear on how it works. There is a U.S. attorney named John Durham who yep. is looking at the entire Russia investigation. It looks like they're doing their job. All right, Jay Sekulow, great work. And boy, you were more right than anyone knew. Great job. Well, we put a big effort in order to uh, uh, promote democracy, which is what we are all about here, and remove obstacles to participation in our democracy. Uh, Democrats insisted on resources in this last bill uh, that the president signed last week. Uh, We had $400 million uh, to promote uh, voting by mail, uh, direct all of that. However, it was not nearly enough. We need at least five times that much in order to really meet the needs to protect the integrity of our election uh, uh, critical infrastructure, as well as to promote um, voting by mail. Uh, It is absolutely essential at this time. So in this next bill, we hope to get more resources uh, to uh, vote by mail. And if you're doing that, you have to have funds for the Postal Service as well, which he has objected to. There is the ever so eloquent Nancy Pelosi, somewhat forgetful like Joe herself, 
Uh, why is it every bill they're willing to hold up spending from the very beginning for workers, small businesses, those that are in need through no fault of their own during a national emergency pandemic? Now, of course, they were busy impeaching the president and preparing to do the little tear of the president's speech uh, before the, any of them were paying any attention to COVID-19. And we know that the president was putting in a travel ban, quarantine, some uh, other travel bans, etc. But what is it about every bill Democrats now proposed? They want immigration reform. They want uh, amnesty. They want open borders. They want anybody to be able to vote. Whether you have an ID, you don't have an ID. They're always adding new Green Deal provisions. They're adding, you know, by the way, they'll say to rebuild America. Yeah, they want basically socialism all across the country. One of the things they are pushing for the hardest has to do with voting by mail. They will tell you, no, this is out of, out of an abundance of caution and safety. Uh, and by the way, they want to strip all voter ID laws. They want to remove witness requirements and signer verification. And what should concern all, everybody here, uh, the you know, if there are, we know we have instances where people vote by mail. And the easiest and best and most secure way to get somebody's identity and make sure that this person has a legal right to vote, that they are registered, that they are legal citizens, etc. Um, we should not take away people's decisions to go forward with this. Uh, a lot of this effort is being bankrolled by big Democrats because they see a political advantage in this. You know, oh, let's mail it to every home in America. Let's use the census. That's how far they would like to go with all of this. Uh, anyway, Catherine Engelbrecht is back with us. She is the founder of True the Vote. And uh, anyway, you you pointed out a, a, a lot about this mail by voting nonsense. Uh, tell us where we are at this time. And do you think they're going to ram this through? No, I mean, Sean, you nailed it. This is not about vote by mail. Oh, the convenience and the safety and the security of vote by mail. That is that is absolutely what the left wants you to think. But in fact, this is a very well-crafted and long-planned strategy, I would say, that um, it's every, every push towards, towards mail-in ballots are coming with the attendant clauses of removing signature verification and knocking down voter ID and opening up limitless ballot harvesting. Um, this, this is an engineered effort to inject chaos uh, being caused by the same groups that pre-pandemic were uh, trying to prevent states from cleaning their voter rolls, prevent states from enacting voter ID. And now they can use all of that to, be to their best advantage because they know that the voter rolls are messed up. They know that they are unreliable, pushing out all of that paper into active and inactive voters' mailboxes. No, you, you have no clue who's really getting the ballot. And then the tsunami of paperwork coming back in, counties can't handle it. This is absolute engineered chaos with the outcome uh, of, of an intended litigation strategy that will play out for months and months and months after November. At True the Vote, you've also gone forward with a preliminary injunction that you filed in Nevada. And in Virginia, you also filed a preliminary injunction. What's going on in those two states in particular? Well, in those states, we've, we've taken the bureaucrats to task in Virginia um, the governor has not only struck down voter ID, but has declared everyone in the state to be disabled. 
And that's how he's choosing to try to get around the the universal mail-in push. Um, in Nevada, uh, the Secretary of State, who's a Republican, I might add, um, was pushing for, same thing, universal mail-in, but also now we're seeing limitless vote harvesting. And in, in Clark County, they want to actually put the vote harvesters on the, on the payroll. They want to help the vote harvesters uh, disenfranchise the most vulnerable poss- uh, populations. It's, it's, it's outrageous. And, um, and, you know, and it's, you know, I'll tell you another thing that you don't hear a lot about. It's, it's largely being done at the hands of Hillary Clinton's lawyer, Mark Elias. He's the mastermind behind all of this, and it's, uh, it's, it's stunning in its breadth and depth and scope and funding. They were There's talking no about with yeah. the, when the first COVID-19 bill came in, they were actually talking about allowing individuals to pick up as many peop- of people's ballots themselves as long as the envelope was sealed. That would be good enough. That would be sufficient enough. Well, there, there's no verification whatsoever if you do it that way. And uh, why do I not trust the person that is bringing all these extra ballots out of the goodness of their heart, I'm sure, uh, to either a, a post office or a voting place? Now, that, that's exactly right. Why would we? How could we? There, is no, there, there are insufficient security safeguards around any of this. The most secure way to cast your vote is in person at the polling place. And so what we're fighting back against are the states that are denying their voters those opportunities, which will necessarily result in a dilution of legitimate votes due to the expansion of fraudulent votes, of duplicate votes, of errant votes. Uh, This is is an incredibly troubling situation. It is a tsunami that is headed for us in November that we have got to get our arms around now. True the vote is it .com or .org? Um, I know True. you've been around a while. What's that? TrueTheVote.org. Please come check us out. All right, TrueTheVote.org. And by the way, if there's issues going on in your state, you can contact them and they'll help you. Catherine uh, Engelbrecht, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate it. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. So... You've got the Obama Gate explosion that's happening right before our eyes. It is amazing to watch the mob, the media, the liars, the propagandists, the you know those that peddle in conspiracy theories and hoaxes and slander and besmirchment and that have been wrong for over three years. You know, Russia, 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 Ukraine, 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 impeach, 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 and they missed what is the biggest abuse of power, corruption scandal in history. Now, we've learned an awful lot about, well, what they've been up to and what this whole thing is all about, and none of it is any good. We learned a lot this week, for example, uh, as it relates to, let's see, Rick Grinnell declassifying the list of Obama officials. You know, we got 48 uh, unmasking requests, 39 individuals, including Biden, Samantha Power 7, James Clapper. You got, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, John Brennan. All of these, what, what, why would they be unmasking in, in these numbers and the dates that match up? Dennis McDonough on January 5th, Joe Biden on January 12th, both important dates in this timeline. Um, now, how is this all going to impact 2020? Senator, Senator Lindsey Graham uh, starting hearings on the 3rd of June. Grassley Johnson, they are going to continue their investigation. Uh, the mob and the media, they just say, oh, it's 
uh, about masking is fine. 48 separate unmaskings from Election Day through January of 2017, Election Day 2016. That's a lot of it. Uh, anyway, uh, let's play James Clapper. Uh, then we're going to play Joe Biden lying. And then let's play John Brennan uh, attacking Rick Grinnell for telling the truth and letting us see it for ourselves. So you did not know that it would be General Flynn when you asked to unmask these conversations? Well, no, I did not. Now, it's possible. I mean, this is three and a half years ago, so I don't remember the specific uh, reports in question. It's a routine thing. It's appropriate and legitimate. Uh, when you have a valid foreign intelligence target engaging with a U.S. person, is it, for example, an insider, someone in the government engaging with that foreign adversary? When you were director of national intelligence, did you see any direct evidence of collusion between General Flynn or any Trump campaign official with the Russians? Uh, no, I did not. Mr. Vice President, what was your involvement in the investigation uh, of Michael Flynn and the FBI investigation of Michael Flynn? I was never a part or had any knowledge of any criminal investigation into Flynn while I was in office, period. Not one single time. By nature, um, when you ask for more information about a transcript that's been transcribed from an intercept, do you have any idea who the other person is? And I guess I'm trying to get it. Did the people that asked who Kislyak was talking to have any idea what name would be revealed when they sought that information? Generally not, unless within the context of the conversation, it seems to be apparent that an individual may be affiliated with a certain group or organization. But generally, the reason why you ask for it to be unmasked is because you don't know that's the name of that individual. And so it's not as though Obama officials were going out and saying, give me everything about Michael Flynn. Absolutely not. Interestingly, the number of reports that were in December 16 and January 17 that were declassified by Richard Grinnell, um, I was surprised at how many dates and reports there were there. Maybe what Mr. Grinnell should do is to declassify and then release the contents of those reports in terms of what individuals were involved with. Uh, but what he's doing now is just releasing the names of individuals who, again, were carrying out their authorized responsibilities. That would be nearly a 300% increase, threefold increase in unmaskings just in Obama's last term, especially accelerating into 2016, all throughout 2016, through the end of their administration. Uh, John Solomon has been on this. We have now been unpeeling every layer of this onion uh, together since March of 2017. Uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin of New York here to talk about, well, we've got Adam Schiff caught lying through his teeth again repeatedly. Uh, you know, John Solomon, I mean, they're, they're trying to now spin this. Well, unmasking is not a big deal. Well, I guess it's not a big deal for people that don't believe in our Constitution and the Fourth Amendment and unreasonable search and seizure, uh, because 48 times in this period of time means that you were targeted in a way that was abusing your power and authority and you were going after one guy. Yeah, listen, here's what's going on. I, I bet you when we're done, we're going to find out that lots of Trump transition officials were being unmasked. The Obama administration was trying to thwart the Trump administration and its early foreign policy efforts. They lost the election. The Democrats are headed out the door. And instead of allowing for a peaceful transition of power, they're listening in and, and unmasking all of the conversations that Trump people are have 
in, in trying to get their policy and their transition team up and running, they were spying on their on their their successors. And there's no basis for it, no need for it. Uh, we're going to find out it's far more widespread than just these uh, Flynn conversations when we're done. And uh, you know, let's just. Well, be what honest, about, what for example, was. Trey Gowdy yeah. and Devin Nunes's comments that the Trump family was was unmasked? Is that true too? Uh, I don't know yet, but I've certainly been uh, told that by sources that there was concerns that Jared Kushner and others may have been unmasked at various times. Uh, I think we need to get a more full accounting. This is a great. Well, I remember at one point John Solomon hearing uh, people like you and me had been unmasked. Was that ever confirmed? Never been confirmed, but uh, I think I, I, this is what I would ask the DNI to do. Any journalist, any member of the Trump family, any member of the uh, transition, anyone who was unmasked from September to January, let's put them on the table and find out who they were. Uh, your reaction to this, uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin? Yeah, so I totally agree with what John just said. And understand December of 2016, the Obama administration was trying to get a Security Council resolution, this anti-Israel resolution, UN Security Council Resolution 2334 done. They teed up Egypt. The, the United States wasn't going to exercise its veto. And then General Flynn and others were on the phone to get that off the table, and the Obama administration had to scramble to get other countries to introduce this security resolution. This was a change to even the Obama administration uh, policy. They weren't supportive of a resolution like this passing. They were trying to jam up that incoming administration, uh, and they were pissed that General Flynn and others were successful. You know, you don't have a right in that transition to burn it all down on the way out. And I'll say this about General Flynn. My first brigade commander when I was on active duty at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, as a second lieutenant, was Colonel Michael Flynn. And he was someone who was highly regarded by all the men and women in our brigade. He spent time with the troops, doesn't matter if you were a private or a second lieutenant. This is a man who served decades. He had credibility, had legitimacy. And I'm happy that he was doing what he was doing to protect our relationship with our nation's strongest ally and not allowing the Obama administration to burn it all down on the way out the door. John Solomon, a couple of things that we we've now been able to go back and look at these transcripts and I've been going through them as you have been, but that we've gleaned the first look at the 302. Now, the president late last night inquired about, well, where is the original 302 on Michael Flynn? Right. Uh, which is the right question. But we did glean one thing out of the transcripts that were released, thanks to Rick Rennell and the attorney general. And that is uh, about the original 302 that General Flynn, the reason they didn't think it was lying when asked about this call with, with Kislyak. We right. know that he responded and said, well, I remember the call. I honestly don't remember if we talked about sanctions, which would. Right. All right. Then issue two is Sally Yates admission in her testimony before the House Intel Committee that when she was held over in the February 5th meeting where Comey was there with her, she was held over with him and Joe Biden was there and Clapper and Brennan and I believe Susan Rice, Samantha Powers might have been there. I don't remember that part, but that she, could, she was shocked to know that Obama knew everything that was that had happened in the phone call with General Flynn, the unmasking. What does that mean about Obama? To me, that means he has to answer a lot of questions. 
Absolutely. As you and I have talked about, and, and here's why. Uh, uh, President Obama had a thing for <laughs> Mike Flynn. He fired him in 2014. When he meets with President Trump early in the transition, a, a month or before they have that January 4th meeting, he tells Trump, you only have two problems, North Korea and get rid of Flynn. He was out to get rid of Flynn. Why? Because Flynn was likely to reverse the Iran deal. He was likely to stand by Israel. He was likely to erase some of the Obama policies that were failures. And so this wasn't a counterintelligence concern. This was a preservation of Obama's legacy concern. They were using the tools of intelligence to preserve their policy. It was a policy dispute being hidden or masqueraded as an intelligence need. And that's what you're going to find out when these documents are all released. Well, what's taken so long to release them, Congressman Zeldin? I mean, can we now go back into the Obama administration archives and see what they knew when and where? I mean... You know, that Susan Rice memo of that again, that January 5th meeting note to self. Obama said, do everything by the book. Uh, Well, that was a CYA of all CYAs to me. And how great is it that we have Rick Rennell where he is? If there's a way to do it, he's not someone, he's not only someone who can get it done, he's someone who could get it done today. Every single day, he's providing the American public with more information, not telling people how to think, but just providing the information for the American public to form their own independent judgment. I wish our government had 50, had 500 Rick Rennells right now. Now, by the way, leaking classified info is illegal. They, they, there was a leak in early 2017 to the Washington Post, and there's a lot of people who are talking about whether or not uh, what the Obama administration was doing with the unmasking was, was illegal. They're not talking about how it's just black and white criminal that it, and it's crystal clear that that leak in the Washington Post is something that should result in whoever ordered that, at the very least, should be brought up on criminal charges. One other thing I would mention is one other name of the unmasking that's not getting a lot of attention, Michael Dempsey. Michael Dempsey was the person who was the daily briefer for President Obama. The presidential daily briefing, Michael Dempsey was the one in charge, and he was on the unmasking list as well. Great, John. John. Yeah, that's a great point. And also another person I want to point out, Sarah Raskin. She's the wife of Congressman Jamie Raskin, who is one of the most rabid anti-Trump members of Congress. She was a deputy Treasury secretary in charge of financial policy, not really an intelligence official. Why did she request an unmasking? There are a lot of people that were looking at this stuff, and a lot of them didn't seem to have those job responsibilities, the intelligence, national security job responsibilities that would seem to authorize or, or require them to unmask. So I think what the congressman just said is right. There, there are way too many people asking. Uh, and, um, you know, the good news is that the president has tightened this up. President Trump going forward has tightened up the unmasking rules, and you've seen a remarkable decline in the searching of Americans' phone records under President Trump. But we don't have the truth about what went on in the fall of 16 yet. we got to keep digging. Uh, All right. Now let's transition, if we can, a little bit here into opening the country and, you know, Adam Schiff and the Democrats and all the spending. Lee Zeldin, uh, really three trillion dollars on on things that are unrelated to covid relief. And tell me why, even though you're in New York, why should somebody in a red state with that elects responsible governors that doesn't run deficits and debt and funds their uh, pensions? Why should they be forced to bail out a state like New York, New Jersey? Illinois or California? Well, and the size of the ask doesn't pass a smell test, and it keeps growing. Now Governor Cuomo is asking for $61 billion, and he's asking for the federal government not, not just to bail out the state right now, but to bail out New York State for the next three years. 
And if you look at the bill that's the over 1,800-page, $3 trillion bill that's going to be voted on today, the bill that includes checks for people who are in our country illegally, a massive prison release, uh, throughout America implementing ballot harvesting and making voter ID illegal, and, and then changing the unemployment provision in a way where people won't be going back to work for almost a year because they're going to get paid a whole lot more to stay at home and not do any work than to go back to their jobs. Now, in, in that bill, though, as well, is that you have hundreds of billions of dollars for state and local governments beyond what they are even asking for, whether it is a government in a part of the country that's least affected or it's a part of the country where the government has been mo- and the people have been most affected. It's one thing to give people money towards helping for survival, whether it's a business or it's, that, you know, it's the local government, but, but for a local government to be asking for a certain number and to add hundreds of billions of dollars to it, it doesn't pass any smell test. This is not a product of, of bipartisanship or discussion or compromise or debate or vetting. This is a play call by Speaker Pelosi to be hyperpartisan in a pathway to nowhere rather than working with the president and congressional Republicans to try to actually get something good done. All right. I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you, uh, Congressman Lee Zel- uh, Zeldin, John Solomon. Appreciate both of you. All you're doing we will continue to update it. Well, we have a big article in the New York Post today about opening up baseball. Now, there's a plan put together by owners. Now, the players union has got to sign off on it. How do you do it? How do you do it safely? I have talked at length about temperature taking turnstiles. Literally, you just walk through, take your temperature. Your temperature's high. You get pulled aside. You get told, here's a link when you want tickets to another game. We'll give you better tickets if your temperature's up. Here's what you do. Our advice, go see your doctor. Uh, here's how you protect your family until you know the results of your COVID-19 test. And here's what contact tracing means and what it is all about. That's how you do it. It's not that complicated. It can be done. Then, you you know, everybody that goes to a stadium, I would suggest wear the mask. Why do you, well, Hannity, why are you so obsessed with everybody wearing masks? Because it worked in New York. That's why. Because the guys that were stocking the store shelves that I keep talking about and that I put on on Monday, you know, they wore masks and I saw them every week when I went grocery shopping and the same when I went to my drugstore and none of them got sick. So it's working. All right. Maybe you're not doing it for yourself. You're young. You're healthy. No underlying conditions. You don't have a compromised immune system. Okay. We need the country open. It will be a great big step towards normalcy if we can open up stadiums for baseball, football, concerts. I'd even put the NHL, let them play outdoors at stadiums if need be. And the same with the NBA. You can heat the floors and heat the whole area around where the players are. I'd I'd go sit in the crowd and wear a mask. I don't care. Anyway, helping us uh, sort through this, former NFL player, by the way, Super Bowl winner with the Oakland Raiders, now a candidate for Congress in Utah's 4th Congressional District. I would love to see him get elected out there. Uh, and by the way, it would be a seat that would be win it back for the Republicans after the 2018 election of this Democratic radical, Ben McAdams. Uh, Burgess Owens is back with us. How are you, sir? John, I'm doing great. And, uh, and you nailed it. I think uh, as we go through this process, we're realizing it is imperative we get the House back. And thank goodness I'm part of the district. I'll be part of that. We're between one and three of must-have of both sides. So for those who across our country want our, our country to get back on pace and take it from the, the, the leftist that's trying to uh, destroy our economy, destroy our, our middle class, BurgessForUtah.com, please support me during our primary so we can go out there and, and win this thing back with the academy. We'd love to have your support.
it seems at this point, the battle, the war, the conflict is Democrats under no condition seem to want to open up the country and open it up safely. But Burgess, I would argue that we've learned a lot. If you protect the elderly, those like they that the elderly that were protected in Florida, the way Governor DeSantis did, um, and you don't treat them the way New York did and, and put COVID-19 patients in nursing homes and long-term care facilities, if you protect the elderly, if people wear masks, because I sat in the middle of this shift show in New York and Long Island the whole time, and I went out and about, and those that wore masks didn't get sick that I saw, uh, then it seems like we can learn the lessons of what to do and what not to do, but it seems that the crucial component in this is protecting older people and for any rebound that may occur the reason why you want young healthy people to wear masks also out in public is so that they don't get it and bring it to grandma grandpa or their elderly mom and dad well sean you just used a little bit of critical thinking which is not what the leftist is uh, wants us to do I think we have to dig in deeper. Understand no, that, but by the way, here. Burgess, that will be interpreted by the mob and the media as Hannity <laughs> wants old people to die. That's how they do it. The New York Toilet Paper Times. Any article, any, article, yeah, any day well, now. What the, the message should be is that we need to fight for our middle class. And, and this is what I, I hope our, our fellow Americans understand. And growing up in the Deep South in the 60s, days of segregation, KKK, I lived in a community that was 50% of black Americans during the 40s, 50s, and 60s were part of the middle class because we had such a vibrant a uh, 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 business owner, small business ownership. Forty percent of our community were for business owners, small business owners. So fifty percent uh, end up being uh, uh, in the middle part of the middle class. What the left is trying to do right now, what they've always done, is hurt the most uh, vibrant part of what, what makes our country what it is: the middle class. As we get compassion, empathy, service, vision, risk taking, and and and, and a community that actually looks forward to having their their kids have a much better uh, future than they are having. That's the middle class. That is what they're trying to, 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 um, to destroy, because once they destroy that, what's left is a group of elitists and a group of dependency. That's what leads to uh, socialism and Marxism and the most evil uh, ideologies out there, communism. That's, that's all godless. You have to understand, they're playing chess as we're playing checkers. That's what they've always been after. So just keep in mind, we have innate within us the desire to want to be free and to fight against tyranny. That's what we're seeing across our country. Let's keep it up. Do it smart, but let the, we the people figure out how to get it done. Small business owners can figure this out because they know what it is to look to obstacles and find solutions and make sure the customers feel comfortable coming to their to their stores. Let's let them do that, and, and, and instead of these uh, uh, these elitists, uh, the folks who work for the government or, uh, or wherever they you know the media who are right now getting paid every single day, they're not dealing with what we, what we the people are dealing with in terms of trying to keep our lives afloat. You know, I, I I don't think people understand either that, you know, I read through this bill of Nancy Pelosi and the Socialist Democrats. They want three trillion more dollars. Burgess, we've already spent three trillion dollars. And by the way, yeah. we, re, we we did rebuild Europe after World War Two through no fault of any worker, any small business. Hospital workers n- desperately needed the medical supplies. States like New York didn't prepare for anything they should have. Uh, so we needed a medical mobilization. We needed a, a financial bailout. But the real bailout now is take the lessons we've learned. Nothing is going to be perfect. But, you know, if you get in a car or on an airplane, everything's life is a risk. But we want to minimize it to the lowest amount possible. And I'm willing, as somebody that is very resistant to ever want to put a mask on Burgess, I'll do it for the sake of of elderly people so that I don't pass it on to them and they may end up 
having severe complications or worse because I wouldn't wear the stupid thing for for a short period of time till this is all gone. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm totally with you on that. We have to again understand that this is a, a very key moment for us, and I'm something we're excited about going through with the rest of America. You know, we've been fighting against this the evil leftists for a long, long time, but we've never had a chance to really point to exactly how they operate. They right now, the last thing they want to have happen, and this is what evil is all about, they, they hate rule of law, they hate due process, they hate uh, Americans feeling hopeful and moving forward and taking risks and, and providing for themselves. This is a chance, once we get through this, that Americans can look back, and this is uh, Republicans, independents, and Democrats, look back and see who was for us moving forward and, and providing for ourselves and who was against us. And I'm hoping the good Democrats out there can take a look at, at your leadership and recognize that socialism, Marxism, and communism is pure evil. It's a, it's, a, it's a deletion of God. And when you take that out of the picture, you don't have what we have in our country, a, a giving heart, an empathetic heart. Someone is trying to figure out how to serve others and move our country forward. It, that is totally deleted. And, and that's what the left wants to do. And those folks like Pelosi are totally heartless. They, they, they look at misery as being a political strategy. And think about what kind of America does that to, to each other. To look at trying to how, how can we make other people feel miserable, hopeless, helpless, and that way we get our power. Thereafter, uh, 2020, November, we need to make sure that we win the House. And this time, this House needs to be full of freshmen who care about our country, not the elitists who get in there trying to care for their, their future lobbyist uh, positions. Good, good, uh, a good House that, that believes in the principles and the concepts of, of leading people coming first, like our president does, a Senate. And a president allows us to move forward without having his hands tied behind his back. I'll tell you, the next four years, Sean, could be the most, most unbelievable, uh, great years in terms of our country. Because across the board, Americans will feel and understand what the American way really looks like and how it feels like. A place of hope and second chance. And I'm looking forward to being part of that. And again, understand. I, I don't think I've been as moment. excited about a candidate winning as you. I am, uh, I am blown away at um, how necessary and needed your voice is. Uh, Burgess Owens, I, I just hope the people in Utah are listening over on KNRS, and that's Rod Arquette's uh, station, um, because if they are, they need to vote for you in the in the 4th District, Congressional District of Utah, in your run for Congress. This is a very, very winnable seat. We had good news last night in California, and uh, we won two races last night, and I think hopefully a harbinger of things to come. The poll numbers of the president are up significantly. I hope that continues, and I hope after the second horrific economic quarter, we begin to see signs in the third quarter, and then the recovery that you are uh, describing in the fourth quarter in, into next year. I can tell you this, Biden doesn't know what he's doing. Um, he's still in no. his basement trying to figure out what day it is. But uh, Burgess Owens, thanks, my friend. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it, buddy. BurgessforUtah.com. That's my website. So oh, okay. Thank gotcha. you much, friend. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, okay. Burgess Owens. 800-941-SEAN. 174 days until Election Day, and uh, we have some fake news CNN polling that has come out here. Uh, and uh, we see that, um, well, according to them, and they always over poll Democrats over Republicans, they say Biden has a lead over Trump at five points. Trump has an edge in the critical battleground states that could decide the Electoral College. For CNN to admit this is a battle cry. And trust me, they did not want to admit this. We know who they are. We know that they're not to be trusted. Um, but if it's 51-46 and the president's been going up in every poll recently, 
Uh, I saw polls yesterday. They were dead even. But in the again, in the swing states, uh, Trump has the edge. And you got to remember during these elections, what do I always say? For a Republican to win, you got to thread the needle. You got to win Florida. You got to win Ohio. You got to pick up Georgia's demographics are changing. North Carolina's demographics are changing. Texas, they're trying to change. Who did I read? I guess it was Mike Bloomberg spending millions to try and flip Texas blue. Uh, Then you've got to pick up Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, some combination therein. You got to make a play out in on the West Coast for Nevada, uh, New Mexico, Arizona is always iffy at times, uh, New Hampshire, uh, the second district of um, congressional district of Maine. Uh, anyway, according to this, if you look at, for example, where they are, if Trump's biggest advantage in the poll comes over his handling of the economy. 54% trust the president to better handle the nation's economy. 42% prefer Biden. Uh, if you compare their records, which will happen in the next 174 days, uh, it will be interesting to watch. This is a joke, this question. Voters divide over uh, the two, which who has the best sharpness and stamina to be president, Trump 49-46. I'm not sure who that 46% is, but that 46% scares me. Um, if you look at the swing states which matter the most uh that's where you see that the president has the bigger advantage um but i don't know if we can poll anything accurately at this point in time that's why we have our pollsters john mclaughlin matt towery scott rasmussen uh scott i didn't see your poll today where's your poll today well right now we actually show the overall numbers very close to where cnn's top line is we have uh, joe biden up by six points among registered voters, but those who are most interested in the election are uh, more enthusiastic about the president. And so what that tells me is if the election was held today, uh, we would be talking about three states, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Uh, I'm skeptical of the CNN poll showing the president up by seven in those states, partly because it's got to be a really small sample. Um, you know, so it's not worth paying a lot of attention to. Uh, but the reality, you know, you outlined it. The president has to win Florida. He has to win Ohio. And he has to do well in a couple of these other states. Ultimately, more than any of these particular polls about what the race looks like today, it's how we reopen America that will determine this presidential election. I've been saying this, Matt Towery, to friends now for a while, what likely what likely will be the driving force that ultimately determines victory. That event probably has not happened yet. And I think a lot of it, America is about to be shocked to the core with second quarter numbers. And that would be April, May, June numbers, GDP numbers that are going to be a disaster. We all know that the country shut down. Uh, I don't think the president gets the credit he deserves for the largest and fastest medical mobilization in the history of the world. Uh, where de- and he bailed out states like New York because they were n- totally ill-prepared. Uh, then I look at these main states that Scott's talking about, and where do you where do you see it at this point? Well, I see a couple of things. For one thing, Sean, I think we I don't have the the actual um, evidence right now, but I can tell you intuitively that in states such as New York, uh, California, some of the other states in the Northeast where. Uh, of course, New York's probably an exception because they had such a tough time. But let's let's say Pennsylvania is a good example. The frustration among these voters 
um, and these people who can't get back out and can't start their businesses up again is growing every single day. I'm in Florida. Florida's done a great job. The people down here are very Best happy in the, country. the way it's going. It's been incredible. And quite frankly, to give some credit to Brian Kemp in Georgia, Georgia opened early, and they're doing well as, as also. So the hey, listen, I, I, I'm falling on the sword. I was very skeptical of how you can open up salons until I saw the plexiglass and the social distancing and the masks worn and the gloves worn, and I said, wow, that's going to work. Well, his problem was one of messaging. He talks about tattoo parlors and stuff. That was just a mistake. But what has happened in these red states is that they are opening – their, their infection rates are not increasing substantially, unlike what we were told would happen. There may be some hot spots. We'll wait and see. But there's a big difference between the red states that seem to be happily opening up and keeping the economy going and these blue states where I believe their voters are becoming increasingly frustrated. And if you get a marginal state like a Pennsylvania, this will blow in Trump's direction in the end. That's, that's my opinion. What do you think, uh, John McLaughlin? I don't think... I think the media was exaggerating. Uh, they wanted to hope that the president was in big trouble, and they were using the crisis against them. But the reality of this is the president's been very steady, and he's and, and the polls that are out there that are reliable, they've had it very close regardless. And most Americans, we're watching what's going on as far as the economic recovery, how the president keeps us open safely and, and reopens America. And now by Joe Biden's emerging. So the idea that Joe Biden might be coming out in the basement, I mean, he's a very weak candidate for the Democrats, and there's no enthusiasm. Let's look at the results uh, in elections that many people didn't pay attention to, and that is the California 25th uh, district, which I I found very, very interesting. Uh, And the Wisconsin 7th victory by Republicans, this all happened yesterday. Uh, This guy, Mike Garcia, taking over Katie Hill's uh, spot it looks like in Congress in that district, the 25th district. It's the first Republican in 22 years to claw back a seat from the Democrats in California, and it's interesting because even Gavin Newsom tried to open up. His, everything else is closed, but he opened up new polling places just to help uh, in Democratic, uh, more Democratic parts of the district. Uh, what do you make of those two? victories because my interpretation is is that whatever momentum democrats might have had in 2018 would be gone scott you know sean you know when you talk about these things uh, i always offer the caution that people attach too much uh you know excitement to special elections but these do cut against the narrative that somehow this is all a disaster for the president and for the republicans something is going on out there matt mentioned people who are anxious to to get back out to work. Uh, We did a poll the other day and found that 60% of voters, 6 out of 10, believe that all businesses should be allowed to reopen now as long as they practice some uh, safety protocols. Only 26% are opposed. This is not the narrative we're hearing. I think that's feeding into some of these special election results. Um, And I think it's, it's a larger problem for the Democrats in the sense that uh, we are not able to sustain these lockdowns. They are not a popular uh, response, and there is no plan in some of the de- – I live in New York City. There's no plan here to reopen the city uh, anytime soon, and that is a problem in, in creating increasing levels of frustration. So I think if you begin to look at the dynamics of – I think we've passed a tipping point. Voters are saying, okay, 
A week or two of a lockdown may have been okay to get us past the initial surge of this. Certainly in New York, it was it was well received. But now let's get back to the business of making America work. And I think people are are looking to a different kind of leadership for that. We have a couple of issues emerging on Biden. One is he's recruiting AOC uh, Ocasio-Cortez to serve on a climate change panel, uh, and he's working with Bernie Sanders, he said, uh, John McLaughlin. Number two, on Monday with George Stephanopoulos, Biden denied any knowledge of the Flynn case, uh, and then uh, it turns out today that he was one of the people that requested the unmasking of General Flynn on eight days before he left office as vice president. Uh, that might be a problem for him. Uh, his problems with China and his problems with, you know, promising illegal immigrants a pathway to citizenship and even suggesting that um, Obama, you know, he regretted what they did in the Obama years to illegal immigrants. Yeah, I mean, this is what I, what I mentioned before. Now Joe Biden is the candidate. The Democrats are finding out about him. And there's, there's, there's going to be buyer's remorse among the Democrats because there's no enthusiasm for him. And when you ask voters... Do you want him to be the one to lead us to help the economy recover? No way. Do you want him to be the one to help prevent the spread of coronavirus? No. And and the President Trump is getting the credit for what's being done. And in California, which is a real election, and the first time in decades that we flipped the seat from Democrat to Republican in California, they basically, the mayor held up announcing that he was going to shut the city of L.A. down until August. He held that till right you know, just when it's too late that the voters would react. And as of today, the last numbers I saw, Garcia was up by 12 points. Not even close. So uh, Donald Trump is the way to get elected. And any never-Trumpers who want to distance himself making a big mistake. I don't see that. Um, I mean, Biden is sheltering in place, uh, uh, Scott. And, and every time he goes on and does one of his stupid virtual town halls, he looks dumber than the last one. Uh, even this week, another disaster. Am I on? And he walks to the camera, takes off his aviator sunglasses. I mean, it just looks so contrived and fake and phony. And this guy, he, he's, he's not been pushed. He's not been stretched at all or challenged in any way. And he seems to do best when he's hiding. At some point, doesn't he have to come out of his basement? Well, at some point, he will have to come out of his basement. And the notion, I, I can't even imagine what a debate between the two candidates will look like. Uh, in terms of energy level, in terms of focusing on issues and everything else. Uh, you know, look, there is, John mentioned buyer's remorse. Uh, 35% of voters say it's still at least somewhat likely Biden is going to be replaced at, as the nominee, and that includes 28% of Democrats. That speaks to a tremendous lack of okay, so then that about could, this nominee. That raises the question. Do you think he gets replaced you think there's a chance scott rasmussen then uh matt then john it is a difficult uh thing to replace him for one reason that reason is bernie sanders because a lot of democrats say oh we need somebody like governor cuomo or whoever else if you take the nomination away from joe biden and do not give it to bernie sanders the the bernie bros are just going to just leave and create a civil war within the democratic party so i don't think it's going to happen but i think it's going to be a an ongoing issue matt what if jill biden's jill his wife says uh well you know i just don't think my husband's up to it what happens then i think it becomes a shift show 
Well, I think it would be a mess. Of that. You know, uh, Scott makes a very good point about the Bernie Sanders group, but probably the, the, the deft way for them to do it would be for Biden to get the nomination. And after he gets the nomination, at some point there, quickly thereafter, have to bow out. Then your vice presidential nominee would likely become your presidential nominee, and that person is going to be an Obama-approved person. I can guarantee you that. So that, that's probably the only way they could pull it off. And I know there are a lot of rules in DNC I don't know about. I'm not sure they could do it prior to that, and maybe they couldn't do it after that. I do think this, though. I think that Biden is going to increasingly – right now the public's not focused, Scott. We're, we're worried about a pandemic. We're worried about our own livelihood and our, our safety. When we start focusing on these candidates and they really see how weak Biden is, that's when the Democrats are going to start to really panic. What do you think, John? Could it happen? I don't think so, because as Scott already mentioned, if they try to take it away from Biden, and he won't have the delegates till like June 3rd. But if they try to take it away, Bernie's going to demand it. And the reason they replaced Bernie with Biden was because they thought that Sanders would lose to Trump. And now they're going to find themselves Donald Trump's going to beat whomever they put up. Yeah, well, I mean, if they pull that, I can imagine the Bernie people losing their minds. Although, you know what? I think I was more upset at what had happened uh, to Bernie Sanders in 2016 than Bernie was. But anyway, well, thank you both. Thank you all. Uh, Matt Towery, John McLaughlin, Scott Rasmussen. We'll continue to follow the polls as they go. Uh, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Now we know the Department of Justice is now looking into the unmasking Thanks to Rick Grinnell, DNI, and that information now sent over to the Department of Justice. And they delivered information related to the unmasking uh, of General Flynn and likely others. As we now have these 53 interviews that the corrupt, compromised, congenital liar was hiding from all of us. What are we discovering? That every person that went in there said, uh, no, I haven't seen evidence of any Trump-Russia collusion. And he would race out to the socialist paper of record New York Toilet Paper Times uh, or Washington Compost or fake news CNN or MSDNC, the conspiracy theory, Roswell, Rachel Maddow channel and spew lies. And he was treated like a deity, meaning Schiff. Um, Now we've gotten to the point. Well, we know about this January 5th meeting that took place in the Oval Office. And we know in this meeting that a lot of discussions took place. Uh, a lot of it had to do with you had Comey, you had, you had Biden, you had Obama, uh, you had Sally Yates and others in the meeting. At the end of the meeting, Obama pulls aside Comey and Yates. Yates testifies that she's shocked, absolutely shocked to learn that Obama knew everything about the phone call with General Flynn and this Russian soon-to-be counterpart. As a side note, both Susan Rice and Samantha Power both said that they had contact prior to them joining the Obama administration with their soon-to-be counterparts. Uh, What does it mean? Well, it means uh, I think that we have a question that needs to be asked Barack Obama. What did he know about unmasking and when did he know it? Uh, There is a possibility that, in fact, uh, he may at some point be questioned about this. Senator Grassley is saying that Biden and Obama should be interrogated about their roles in the fake Russiagate investigation. Here to weigh in on their observations and much more, we have John Solomon. 
He is a Fox News contributor, editor-in-chief of JustTheNews.com. Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, author of the bestsellers on this topic, the latest witch hunt, the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. Uh, John, let's go through. You've had more time now to go through the the new developments. It right. seems that uh, the I think the first show that we did involved you in March of 2017. It did. And it was about illegal surveillance, unmasking, leaking raw intelligence, wasn't it? That's right. We've gone full circle and, and started. we've come back to where we started this great journey three years uh, later. Uh, listen, remember, people showed up at my mailbox as I was coming back from your show that night. Uh, two, two people from the intelligence community, they never gave me their names, but they said the U.S. intelligence committee and specific, community and specifically the FBI were used in a horrible political dirty trick. And now we know in full measure, because of Greg's great books and the reporting we've all done, uh, exactly what those two guys meant that night. Uh, and what it meant was they set out to create a false narrative to use the most important powers of the FBI to make it look like President Trump and Mike Flynn were engaged in a conspiracy with Russia, even though they knew no evidence such existed. And we now know the earliest animus that anyone, of all the story characters we've had, the earliest animus for Mike Flynn started with President Obama. He fired him in 2014 as a DIA director. In November of, of 16, he told Trump, Flynn's one of your biggest problems you're going to have to worry about. And then on January 5th, he attended a meeting where the Justice Department officials were shocked to learn he already knew about the intercepts between Flynn and the Russian ambassador. The questions that Barack Obama hasn't answered now need to be answered. All right, let's look at the unmasking part from a legal standpoint. My understanding is, you know, we know that premeditated fraud, FISA court, all occurred. They were warned before the first FISA application. It was unverifiable, turned out to be debunked. They were warned not to use it. The steel was, had a political agenda. It's unverified. Hillary paid for it. They ignored it. They go forward. But they knew for sure in February of 2017, Greg, that, the subsource had been interviewed by that time three separate times and did not corroborate anything in the Steele dossier, but they still went forward with two more subsequent renewal FISA warrants. And then, of course, the scope uh, uh, memo put out by Rod Rosenstein to Robert Mueller, knowing that the basis of these these applications were fraudulent to even continue this witch hunt. That speaks volumes about Rod Rosenstein. I think he's in trouble because he also signed the fourth warrant. And then we have the director, Ray, in July of 2018, very late in the game, saying that these FISA applications were justified. Let's go to the unmasking part. Is it illegal to unmask an innocent American citizen? No, depending upon the purpose. Now, if the purpose is illegitimate, uh, not a, a serious national security interest, then you're not only violating regulations, but... Uh, you're violating the law. But whoever leaked after the unmasking to the Washington Post definitely committed a crime. That's against the law. So it's important to get our hands on the list of the people who are unmasking. We know, for example, already, uh, and thanks to John Solomon's reporting, that that Samantha Power, the United Nations ambassador for Barack Obama, was the unmasker-in-chief well, hang on, but we do know that she testified before the House Intelligence Committee that she had no idea 300 unmasking masking took place in her name. 
Right. One on average per day. And her excuse was, gee, I, I, I think other people might have been doing that under my name. No, it's her responsibility. And I doubt very much that other people were doing it under her name without her knowledge and consent. So she's a suspect, Samantha Power. And by the way, she has no business unmasking because she's not in the national security business She's the United Nations ambassador, for goodness sakes. The other person is National Security Advisor for Obama, Susan Rice. Now, uh, she's very suspicious because she wrote, she wrote a CYA memo at the very moment that uh, Trump was being inaugurated, uh, talking about how uh, Obama wants to do the investigation by the book, meaning Trump-Russia collusion, but also uh, holding out that maybe we shouldn't tell the incoming administration about it. And see, that was the plan, Sean, all along, to hide the Trump-Russia collusion investigation from Trump, to lie to him, which is what Comey did on several occasions, and to keep it going. And then, of course, Mueller and Rosenstein engaged in what was uh, an effort to legitimize an illegitimate uh, prosecution and investigation. So, you know, a lot of people involved in this. All right. At one point, John Solomon, your reporting was very clear, a, a huge spike in unmaskings, in 2016 alone, and we and part of that was Samantha Powers' 300 unmasking. She's denying it under sworn testimony before the House Intel Committee. Um, but what was the number? What was it like? 300 percent increase? Something it was like that over three years. I believe it was uh, fiscal 2014 to fiscal 2016. There had been a 300 percent spike in unmaskings, and what it meant is that the Obama administration was looking at more and more incidental intercepts of Americans. Remember, the NSA is not allowed to target Americans, but if they accidentally collect an American overseas on a phone call, uh, uh, they can keep the record. And what the Obama administration was doing was increasingly unmasking it to see what American that was and, and who they were talking to and what they were saying. And that is what Well, that's illegal spying on Americans. Are, aren't they, even if they have a warrant, aren't they supposed to practice something known as minimization? Once you sure. know an American is on the call and they're not talking about anything that would be that's nefarious. You're supposed to redact their name. And instead, what was going on is they were unredacting the names and unredacting the conversations of the American. And that's what gave pause to the court and gave pause to the civil libertarians. And remember, the liberals were all upset about this until they found out it was going to benefit Donald Trump, the unmasking scandal. And then they all went silent. The ACLU, everybody went silent. But this is a serious issue, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Americans have an assumption of privacy under the Constitution and on unmasking erodes that protection. What do we glean from this January 5th meeting, Greg Jarrett? And that is where all these top officials are there. At the end of the meeting, Sally Yates is stunned to hear that Obama had been fully briefed and up to speed on the unmasking and contents of the conversation uh, with General Flynn and this soon-to-be counterpart of his. And then we also learned that uh, from the testimony that we were able to glean from this last week, that in fact that we we finally got a glimpse at the first 302 the original 302 that we've never right. been able to get our hands on and that the agent peter struck being one of them and another agent determined when they did ask the question about this phone call that they already knew the contents of and they were tricking him on and ambush him ambushing him on day 4 of the trump administration but 
they but he was very clear he said look i i think i talked to him i just don't remember specifically if we talked about that which would not be a lie right he he was equivocal which is not a lie and look, uh, the, the handwritten notes, as well as a summary, which I quote verbatim in my book, Witch Hunt, you know, says that uh, the agents concluded that Flynn did not lie. They didn't think he was lying. He didn't think he was lying. So, you know, it's impossible to prosecute somebody for lying to the FBI when the agents themselves say he didn't lie. But the sequence is important, remember. Um, in late December, early January, the FBI Washington field office closed the case against Flynn. No derogatory information. Uh, he's not a Russian asset. January 4th, Peter Strzok at the behest of Comey and McCabe countermanded it and ordered to keep it open. The very next day, July 5th, Comey meets with Obama at the White House. Biden, Brennan, Clapper, Yates, Rice, they're all there. Obama brings up the flynn Kislyak conversation. What are we going to do with this? The very next day, January 6th, uh, Comey goes over to Trump Tower and ambushes Trump with what was surely a, a trap and tells him about only two pages of the dossier. Then Comey rushes out to his SUV and types up a memo that he hopes will somehow be incriminating. Of course, it wasn't. Uh, Eleven days later, of course, the perjury trap is set by Comey, McCabe, and Strzok on uh, Michael Flynn. So this has Barack Obama's fingerprints all over it. He was at the head of it. And that's where I want to go with my next question to you, John. What do we glean from Obama's involvement? Because Greg Jarrett is right. So the meeting's January 5th. Susan Rice is there. Fifteen days later, uh, note to self, she's memorializing that that meeting from 15 days ago with the words, uh, President Obama said, do everything by the book. Why would you write that 15 days later? The ambush happened four days after that. That's 19 days after the Oval Office meeting um, where they did ambush, you know, bypassing norms and what they would never get away with or try to get away with in past administrations. And you don't need a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what do we glean from Obama's involvement in this, Having knowing he knew the phone call, knowing Susan Rice is doing a CYA? What do you glean from that? Well, let's add two more things to Greg's amazing timeline. Uh, after the White House meeting. What about Hannity's amazing timeline? Meeting, what, what's up with that? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the most important two other uh, events. Three days after that meeting, the BuzzFeed gets the leak of the dossier. So the Steele dossier is flung into the public with no context, no, no realization that it's all bunk. The FBI already knows it's bunk. And then a couple of days after that, the transcript of the Flynn call with Kislyak is leaked. Those two leaks were designed to create in public the opposite of what was going on behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, they knew the case against Flynn had collapsed. The FBI was closing it down and that Steele had been debunked by his own subsource. So the leaking is one of the key elements of the Obama administration trying to sustain a narrative that behind the scenes the FBI had determined was bogus. I think those leaks are a key to any conspiracy that goes forward. You have to understand the release of the information was designed to, to get the American public up in arms about something that, in fact, behind the scenes law enforcement had determined was a big nothing burger. What's next, Greg Jarrett? Well, I think uh, Durham is the next ball to drop, and I think he's looking at uh, several areas, the line to the FISA court, uh, the malevolence and lawlessness in the Flynn case, and finally the overall handling by the FBI and the special counsel of the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. So I think in play 
are things like uh, perjury, obstruction of justice, fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud, deprivation of rights under color of law. That means people are using their powerful government positions to deprive people of their constitutional rights, people like Carter Page, and indeed, people like uh, Donald Trump. Amazing work, both of you. I, I, I can't wait to get the unmasking list. Uh, this is going to get very interesting very fast, and we will get to the point. What did Obama know? When did he know it? Great work. Greg Jarrett, John Solomon, thank you. We'll continue to follow it.